Welcome to this edition of My Low Carb Life. It's the February 16th, 2021 edition. I'm Keith McDaniel, and thanks for listening. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, then I want you to know that I've lost more than 130 pounds by living a low-carb lifestyle. Over the course of the past five years, I've had lots of comments and questions about how I lost my weight, so I decided to host a podcast talking about my weight loss journey and sharing some tips that I've learned along the way. And because I believe that all aspects of our lives affect the others, I also wanted this podcast to explore portions of our lives that have an impact on our weight and health in general. By the way, I've got to tell you, I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a guy who figured out how to lose a lot of weight and keep it off. So, if you are planning on starting any kind of weight loss or exercise program, please talk to your doctor to make sure what you're planning is healthy and right for you. And speaking of doctors, later on in this podcast, I talk with a physician who has studied low-carb nutrition for the past 20 years. He has some great insight from a medical perspective that he's going to share. Also, I'm going to share one of my favorite low-carb recipes. But to begin with, I want to talk a bit about the many ads I've been seeing for low-carb and keto foods that are sold in the grocery store and online. I have seen tons of these ads recently. It seems that every day I see another for a food service or a food claiming to be low carb or for a, you know, a food package program. You know, when something becomes popular, there's always someone to find a way to profit. Whether it's a fad or a new technology, someone is going to find a way to make a buck. And with the popularity of the keto diet, all kinds of products have been put out into the marketplace. From chicken crust pizza, which I make at home, by the way, to low-carb hummus, to keto meal kits, it seems like everyone is jumping on the keto bandwagon. Now, I'll admit, I have tried some of these products. And I'm sure some of them are very tasty and will meet your low-carb lifestyle guidelines. But I haven't found any that really blow me over. Like many prepackaged foods, Oftentimes, they will advertise as low net carbs, but in reality, they are high carb and high fiber. So when you have a low carb flour tortilla that says they are six net carbs, but in reality, they have 13 or 14 or 15 carbs with nine or 10 grams of dietary fiber. To me, that's not a good balance. And with that much fiber, there might be some extra trips to the bathroom if you eat very much of them, if you know what I mean. Another problem with many of these low-carb prepackaged foods are that they are, frankly, expensive. I saw a package of frozen low-carb uh, chicken stuffed with cheese at the grocery store just this week. I thought about trying it, but the box was $7 and it contained two servings. For $7, I can buy some chicken breasts and a package of cheese and make enough for four or five meals. To me, the convenience of having the low-carb frozen foods and ready to pop in the oven is most of the time not worth the price that you have to pay for them. Now, I will say that sometimes it is convenient to do that, and you can make that choice, but I wouldn't do that all the time. It's just very expensive. Now, I don't want to disavow all low-carb prepackaged foods because 
I've not tried them all. There are way too many for me to try them all. And I'm certain there are some that taste great and don't break the bank. But so far, I haven't found many of those. I would prefer to spend my money wisely and find natural, low-carb foods that I can prepare the way I want without adding things that I would rather not have in my food, like an inordinate amount of sodium. Um, I'm not saying that you should avoid these products. What I'm saying is make sure you read the nutrition labels before you purchase and check the price to make sure the product will fit within your meal plan and you don't have to get a loan to pay for it. Now, with that being said, I did come across some low-carb sliced bread this past week that I thought I would give a try. This particular bread I found at my local Kroger. It is made by Lewis and is called Healthy Life Keto Bread. I had been eating another version of Healthy Life Bread, uh, but it had about 6 grams of net carbs per slice. It was good, but with a sandwich and two slices of bread, that adds up to 12 net carbs, which can be a little high for one meal. But this new bread claims to have 9 carbs and 8 grams of fiber. So that works out to be one net carb per slice. It also only has 30 calories per slice, if you're counting calories. Now, I've tried some of the other low-carb breads, and I either didn't like the taste or the texture was just too dense. To be honest, some of them taste like cardboard because they are loaded with fiber. I'm always on the lookout for a good low-carb bread because, to be quite honest, I love a good sandwich. So when I found this bread this week, I decided to make a turkey and cheese sandwich to take with me for lunch. Let me just say this about this bread. It was a breath of fresh air. It was light and fluffy and really tasted good. The fact that each slice contains 8 grams of fiber didn't make it tough like some of them are. So, of all the low-carb products I have purchased and tried, I think Lewis Healthy Life Keto Bread ranks near the top for one of my favorites. The only downside was it was a little expensive. It was a, a fairly small loaf, and I believe it was about 6 or $7 for the, for the bread. But I don't eat it every day, so it would last me a while. And when you put it on a sandwich, uh, you know, you have other things on the sandwich, so it, it really complements um, the other things, the, the lunch meat, the cheese, the whatever you put on the sandwich. So, so it was really a good buy. Just remember, in most places in the U.S., we have an abundance of choices to make when we buy groceries. A little effort and a little thought can go a long way to making the right choices to meet the needs of our meal plans and our pocketbooks. Now, I'm very excited about our guest we have today, and I want to share an interview I did this past week with a physician, Dr. Mark McCall. And today I am interviewing Dr. Mark McCall. Uh, Dr. McCall, thank you so much for uh, for being with us on the podcast. I appreciate well, it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, it's in this podcast that we've, we've talked to some, in other episodes, we've talked to some other uh, experts in their field. And I really wanted to, to get a, a physician's perspective because I would assume that traditionally um, the medical field may have some questions or some hesitancy uh, about a, a low carb 
you know, diet, if you want to call it a diet. Um, and and uh, but I, I discovered that you're somebody who studied that for years. How, what was your interest in that? Well, yeah. So part of it was my own personal interest in good health. But I was first introduced to the concept in medical school, actually. And a good friend of mine who was interested in uh, nutrition and low carb, he uh, kind of gave me a book called The Protein Power Plan by the Dr. Eats. And um, so I started looking at that and started thinking about it. And it was actually my biochemistry professor in medical school that convinced me that low carbohydrates had to be a good uh, dietary approach. And it wasn't because he advocated for it. And in fact, he was pretty anti-Atkins. But he taught our nutrition class and he taught biochemistry as well. And we had a really solid nutrition program. It was pretty fantastic, honestly, a whole semester of lots of good information. But we would read and learn about sort of the early dietary guidelines for cholesterol management that was coming out. And uh, then we'd go back and we'd look in the biochemistry lectures and we'd learn about these biochemical reactions. And the more I started to think about those guidelines and how they would play out in these biochemical reactions, I started to think, well, why are more people not diabetic following these guidelines? This, these guidelines can't, they just don't make sense. And so I kind of came to a little bit of a, of a crisis of understanding, do I, do I trust the biochemistry or do I trust the guidelines written by some folks that are just trying to make a good guess of things? And so I decided to go with the biochemistry and then work backwards from there. And that's really kind of where I settled into that every time I would look at low carb, and I would look at a whole food, low carb approach, I realized that it fit with the biochemistry. The way we're put together is really designed to sort of um, accept that, to, to see that as really a very positive way to eat. Uh, and so that, that was kind of my first foray into it. And then I played with it in med school and residency um, and had various degrees of success, but really was not able to invest a kind of a lot of energy personally to get into it until I got into private practice here in Knoxville. And I was lucky enough to join a group, Trinity Medical Associates, that was pretty heavily invested in nutrition as a way of managing chronic diseases. And so I fell in line with some like-minded individuals and we supported one another and kind of built a whole program around that. And, um, and that's really what I've been doing in private practice since then. Tell, tell me a little bit, what, what exactly when you say, and it's called, I guess, LCHF, which is low carbohydrate, high fat nutrition, uh -huh. Um, what is that exactly, and how is that different than keto? Yeah, so those are spectrums in my mind. So um, the way I approach it is, uh, I usually, if I'm talking to a patient, especially a brand new patient, and we're trying to introduce the concept, I talk a little bit about what the body is required to have in order to survive. So we look at it from a very basic principle. And so I kind of will sometimes make a joke, if Elon Musk is going to go to Mars, what does he need to pack in a suitcase? So he needs to pack oxygen because uh, a few minutes without oxygen, he's going to die. He's going to need to pack some water. A few days without water, he's going to die. And it mm -hmm. turns out there are nine amino acids he has to pack. And so if he doesn't pack protein, he dies in a few months. And there are some essential fatty acids. So if he doesn't pack fat, he dies probably in about a year or so. But carbohydrates aren't on that list. So there's no carbohydrate in the universe that the body has to consume out of the universe. Now, that's different than saying that the body doesn't need carbohydrates. It says we don't have to consume them. And so then if you say, well, what's the spectrum? What's the range of healthy intake, of appropriate intake? Well, that includes zero. The zero carbohydrate intake is fully survivable for the genetically normal adult. And so it, it includes some other number too, some higher number. 
And what I help folks do is figure out what that range is for them. And so on the spectrum of low carbohydrates, you think about generally speaking, less than about 120 or 150 grams of carbohydrates, you start to get into the realm of low carbohydrate where you're taking in fewer grams of carbohydrates than the body, the brain in particular kind of needs. And so your own endogenous supply has to make up the difference. So once you start getting below that, you start getting into the realm of low carbohydrate, although there's no hard cutoff by anybody's definition. And then the lower you go, the more ketogenic you get. Now, the, I think that the misnomer is that people develop a, or get into a ketogenic diet. We're all ketogenic. Everybody's making ketones all the time. It's just, what is the level of threshold? We've decided that there's a line in the sand that we're going to call, if, you, if your serum ketones are above a certain level, we're going to call that ketogenic or ketosis. And so generally that's less than about 20 grams of carbohydrates per day. It's just on the really low end of the spectrum. Most people don't get below 20. Um, sort of the zero carbohydrate sort of mentality is that we don't count the half percentages or the half grams and things like that. But the reality is, is 10 to 20 grams is about as low as anybody ever gets during the course of the day if they're eating food. And so that's the spectrum. Very low carbohydrate is ketogenic up to about 120, 150 is still in the low carb realm. And so then I'll, I'll dial in somebody's recommendation within that range, depending upon where they are, um, all the different factors that we might look in, and I'll give them a recommendation to start shooting for. What about fat? How is there a ratio? Because you part of half of it is low carbohydrate, the second yeah. half is high fat. Yeah, so for me, I don't usually emphasize the ratio or percentage, you know, the four to one goals that some people have for, for keto diets and so forth. I don't tend to focus too much on that. I usually will use the phrase fill in the fat. And I didn't invent that one, but uh, Benjamin Bickman, who's a PhD researcher, I hope you've read his book, Why We Get Sick. That's a fantastic one. Uh, but he uses that phrase and I've adopted it because I really like it. I usually will tell folks that we're going to count the carbohydrates. We're going to limit those. We're going to really focus in on protein. And then the fat, we're going to avoid some of the artificial forms, the trans fats and so forth. And then honestly, not worry too much about it after that. If you're not hungry, don't eat. I really encourage people to be mindful in their eating, but to really fill in the gaps with their fat. You know, it's interesting in, in my journey, mm -hmm. uh, early on, I discovered, I, des I decided based on some research uh, that I was going to try to stay at about 50 net carbs per day. Yeah. And I had done the protein power, the power protein uh -huh. plan 15 years ago and, and lost significant amount of weight. But once I started going back to eating, it just, you know, it just all came right back. Um, and because I felt like I had a lot of weight to lose at the beginning of this time, you know, it really dropped off. It dropped off quick. Now, there were days that I tried to go lower than that but I just felt like I was starving to death. I just, yeah. I just didn't feel like I was being satiated, that I was hungry all the time. But I found that sweet spot for me anyway, mm -hmm. was about 50 net carbs, you know, per day. And yeah. I was still, I was still losing, losing weight with that as well. And, right. you know, to be quite honest, I bought some of those ketosis strips and peed on them and mm. you know and it was in the low you know it wasn't trace but it was a little it was a it was in the low range mm. um, so yeah i was i was still in in some some state of ketosis yeah Even almost always yeah when you have ketosis it, when you have like continued weight loss or measurable weight loss you'll you'll be ketotic it's really kind of the way it occurs and and it can be a real motivating 
sort of uh, metric to look at to say, hey, look, I'm, I've got ketones, I've got measurable ketones. And then the amount of grams that people have that they want to take in for fats or, or carbs or things like that becomes a little less precise or less rigorous because they start to realize they don't, they don't need to count as many. It's not that it's not important, but it's like they're more familiar with it and that experience is there and they have a way to measure it with measuring ketones. So that can be a helpful adjunct. What, what from, a, from a disease standpoint, um, what does this kind of diet do? I mean, you know, you, you, maybe you can talk about, you know, blood work and people mm -hmm. with diabetes and things such as that. Yeah, well, I'm going to answer it sort of on the flip side. What, what problems does insulin resistance, high blood sugars, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, what do they worsen and cause? Because as you fix those things by this diet, you start to see all those things get better. And then we'll talk maybe some specifics. But if you look at probably the top eight or nine diseases of Western humanity, insulin resistance is at the heart of it. I mean, you certainly see diabetes, you see heart disease, you see high blood pressure, it exacerbates cancer growth, certainly with dementia, gout and gallbladder disease are all there, PCOS, um, sleep apnea, obesity in and of itself. So all these things are sort of spokes on the wheel of insulin resistance and how they get, um, how they're affecting in, in our society. So as you start to fix that, you start to see all those other things normalize. So you see blood pressure start to improve, um, you'll see uric acid levels come down. So people have fewer gout flares, you know, certainly blood sugars will help to normalize. Mm -hmm. I think probably one of the biggest things that you see, probably the funnest changes that you see is just in the cholesterol profile. That's the one that's probably the most different. And you'll see triglycerides, which are kind of a, a storage form of sugars. They're storage and fat sort of packaged together and pumped around the blood system, looking for some squishy bit of the body to be stored in. And if they're measurable in the bloodstream during a fasted state, it means that all the squishy bits are full and they're really not accepting new packets. And so they're still floating around. And if you can measure those, then, and as you start to cut out onto a low carbohydrate diet, you'll see those numbers drop off. I've seen 1300s go to 75 in a month. And that is super fun to watch because 1300 is high enough. You can actually see it in the bloodstream. You can actually just look wow. at the, the tube of blood and see their, their triglycerides. And of course, 75 is uh, pretty close to ideal. So those you know, are really fun to watch. It's interesting you were talking about that. Um, as I recall, I had my blood work done in, in November. Um, and uh, I think my I think my triglycerides were like 45 or 50. Yeah, that's like, excellent. You know, and 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 I had told I told my listeners before that the you know after I had the blood work drawn, my doctor called me the next day and said, he said, Keith, he said, and I was wondering why he was calling me. I was like, uh-oh, something must not be right. He says, I just want to call you and let you know. He says, I looked at your blood work last year and compared it to this year. He says, and last year it was perfect. He said, this year it's even more perfect. He said, I wish I wish all my patients had your blood work. And, yeah. and he said, even at your age, and I'm 63, he said, this is good blood work for anybody. So, yeah. and, I'm, and I know it's, it's absolutely directly related to how I changed the way that I eat. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, so are there any, are there any uh, things that I don't want to say negative effects or downsides, but things that people need to be careful about, or maybe some people that, um, that shouldn't pursue this kind of nutritional program? 
Yeah, I mean, there certainly are some hesitations. Most of the time, I would recommend folks engage in it if they're being followed by somebody. And even if the even if the clinician isn't maybe a low carbohydrate advocate, mm -hmm. they can certainly watch for problems. So somebody that's taking insulin and they suddenly cut down their carbohydrate intake, they're going to need a whole lot less insulin. And you know, I had an endocrinology attending years ago would talk about you know low blood sugars kill you quickly, high blood sugars kill you slowly. And so if you're suddenly on a lot of insulin, but you're not taking in the carbohydrates that that was designed for, that can get you into some trouble pretty quick. There are certainly other medications that will inhibit your ability to uh, manufacture your own glucose as well. And so if you're not taking it in, people can run low. That tends to be more, in my experience, that tends to be more with folks that do multi-day fasts and they're, st they're still taking their certain medications. And that surprises you. Sometimes you have to go look it up and figure out which drug it is and, and figure out which one you need to stop. So that's a kind of a new area. Um, blood pressure is one. So people can will drop their blood pressure pretty quickly. They don't need as much management. And so they'll get lightheaded and dizzy. And so you got to be, you know, warn them to, hey, you know, we might need to actually cut down on your drugs and de-prescribe things. And yeah. so that's one as well. Um, gout sometimes gets worse before it gets better. So you'll exacerbate some gout flares if you start into fasting and some super low carb um, without taking some precautions on that. So you have to be careful. And then honestly, the kind of the controversial one, uh, and I'll, I find myself kind of in the middle of the two camps that are out there is the cholesterol question. Um, LDL cholesterol can skyrocket. You can have some super high LDL cholesterols. Uh, regularly see people in the 200s and 300s as they're in engaged in weight loss and low carbohydrates. And there's a lot of people in the low carbohydrate world that just kind of completely write that off and say, that's not a risk. Mm -hmm. And then of course, sort of in the cardiovascular world, we know that LDL cholesterol is associated with heart disease. Other things being equal, the higher the LDL cholesterol, the more likely heart disease and cardiovascular disease is. It's not the only thing required for that, but it is certainly part of that matrix. And so we've got to figure out what that risk is. And so I usually take those on a case by case basis with patients and help them understand where their number is, how long do we think it's gonna be there? What are their other factors? Do they have other risk factors? Do they already have heart disease? Do they already have a coronary calcium score that's greater than 400 and we know that it's, it's pretty bad already? So what, what kind of protective measures do we need to take as we're correcting some of these other things? For me, it's usually just a constant follow-up. That's kind of why I'm in the type of program that I'm in now because I was trying to break down the communication barriers and the sort of the old school insurance-based system. I like to be able to reach out and have a lot of conversations with my patients. And so, and especially kind of not really handhold, but just be able to walk beside them during these big changes, because they often need a lot of conversation. We need to kind of adapt as we go and kind of see what those numbers are. I use a lot of continuous glucose monitors, the Freestyle Libre. I get a lot of patients on those, even who aren't necessarily diabetic. So they can see the changes that are occurring and we can kind of closely monitor them as they go through these changes and adapt as we need to. Now your practice, I mean, I don't know if you're accepting new patients or people mm -hmm. that are listening. What is your practice? Where yeah, so it's called Pillar Primary Care. It's in Hardin Valley. Um, okay. And so I've run this, pro this program for about five years now and it's a what's called a direct primary care program. So it's a membership-based program. It's a month-to-month -month membership. There's no contract involved more than the calendar month. Um, and I moved to a membership model so that we didn't have to worry about like 
CPT codes and E&M codes and reimbursements and kind of checking all the boxes for an insurance. And yeah. I really got tired of trying to be an eight minute doctor in the insurance world. I was just kind of lousy at that. And so yeah. I just needed more time. And, and when you spend a lot of time thinking about nutrition and teaching nutrition, that's a big part of it. I chose the name pillar because I really believe in the four pillars of good health, nutrition, exercise, sleep and stress and peace management. And those are really four concepts that my partners and I at Trinity kind of developed over the years and have been advocates for. And there's honestly a lot of clinicians out there that advocate for those as well. And they're, they're not unique to me, but they're really a big part of what I do day in and day out to try and help people engage in this. I have a dietitian on staff and a certified personal trainer on staff that my patients can all come see as part of membership so that we can kind of engage in the nutrition and exercise fronts kind of really intensely. Well, that's fantastic. Um, Let's let's kind of wrap things up, and and, and, uh-huh. and I know you can't talk about specific patients, but can you give me some examples of 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 some people that that you have that you have helped with uh-huh. uh, with their nutrition and their their just their their lifestyle in general? And yeah. and the other question I want to ask you is: this something that you do for a while, or is this something that you have to commit to for a long time? Well, so I think about it uh, as far as the commitment goes, it's kind of funny is, is most people commit to it for a time. And then when they stop, they realize how bad they feel and they try and recommit to it. And I would say that's somewhat of my own story. I certainly have moments and months where I'm super committed and I love it and I feel great. And my mind is clear and sharp and I've got tons of energy and I sleep great. And then other months where I'm kind of less dedicated and maybe for good reason, maybe for not, you know, and I think that's just sort of life. And, and so I try not to think about it too much about finish lines, but more like mile markers is where am I going this month? What am I doing this week? What am I doing today? Right. But as far as patients go, I mean, we've got, uh, there's lots of just really fun patients. Weight loss is a super fun thing to help people with. Um, But probably one that always stands out as a fellow that I had, maybe eight years ago now. Um, so I was seeing him um, and he would come in for a pre-op evaluation. So he was getting bilateral knee replacements and um, he was uh, needed the clearance to go see the surgeon to get that done. And I had talked to him a few times prior to this uh, for other things, but we really got talking about knees and his weight. He was uh, 150, 200 pounds overweight. He was on kind of the standard medicines of cholesterol and blood pressure and reflux and arthritis medicine and a couple other things. And so we started talking about nutrition and we started talking about carbohydrates and started talking about carb- counting carbohydrates in order to lower insulin. And he stops and he looks me dead in the eye and he says, well, wait a second, you're telling me that if I count carbohydrates, then I can lose this weight. That's all I've got to do. And I was like, yeah, really, it's just that simple. And he goes, I, I manage a couple restaurants. I count things all day long. That's all I do. I can do this. And so he opted not to have the surgery, but to work on weight loss. Yeah. Over the next couple of years, he lost 150, 200 pounds. He lost the extra weight. Um, he came off most of his medicines, not all of them. He still needed a little blood pressure medicine. He kept his original knees. Uh, last I heard from him, he had retired to the beach with his original knees. Uh. Um, and he came back to see me before he moved out of town. And we kind of had this sort of final conversation about things. Um, and, it, and those are just like super rewarding, you know, experiences for me as a physician to walk with somebody to see them kind of take ownership of their life and kind of regain their health. And that's a lot of what I want to do is help people. How do you run your body? How, teach people how to run their own body and then let, let them make their own decisions on it. And typically they 
they just take off and fly and they do great. And so stuff like that is just super rewarding for me. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, like I told you when we started, I, you know, it's taken me a while, but I lost 130 pounds and it's amazing. You know, I went from a 53 waist to a 36 waist or, mm-hmm. and which are a little loose now to be quite honest. <laughs> and, and one of the, and, I, and I've said this before, one of the greatest days that I ever had when it was, I could walk into old Navy and buy a pair of pants off the rack. That mm-hmm. fit. I've not yeah. been able to do that for de- in decades, literally decades. And uh, so, um, so anyway, but thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on to the podcast and, and sharing some of your medical expertise and insight. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll be sure and put your contact information in the comments uh, here. And if people need to get in touch with you and see you, then uh, hopefully you can help them out a little bit. I appreciate that, Keith. Thanks so much for reaching out. I enjoyed this very much. All right. Thank you so much. All righty. Take care. Thank you, Dr. McCall. That was great advice, great uh, insight that you have from a medical perspective uh, on low-carb living. Uh, we, we appreciate it. Um, today, I want to share one of my favorite recipes that I, I guess I probably started making this about four years ago. I discovered this recipe on the internet, and uh, and I tried it, and I've made it probably dozens of times since then. Um, it is spaghetti squash casserole. Uh, now I love spaghetti squash and, uh, I, I, even before I went on this diet, uh, sometimes my wife and I would make spaghetti and we'd use spaghetti squash instead of noodles. So I'm going to go over the ingredients. Then I'll talk about the instructions on how to make this. And then I'll talk about the nutrition per serving. So the ingredients are one small or medium spaghetti squash two teaspoons of extra virgin olive oil, one pound of 93% lean ground turkey, one small diced onion, one cup of sliced mushrooms, one 14 and a half ounce can of diced tomatoes with Italian spices, one teaspoon of Italian seasoning, one cup of shredded mozzarella cheese, and salt and pepper. Now, the instructions are, cook the spaghetti squash in the microwave. Now, if you've never cooked spaghetti squash, it's really fairly easy in the microwave. What you do is you cut the squash in half, and that's kind of tough to do. Uh, But once you get it cut in half, you scoop out the seeds, put them in the trash can. Then you place, place each half face down in a pan filled with about one inch of water. We use uh, square baking dishes for that. And then you microwave on a high for 15 to 20 minutes. Once you remove it from the microwave, let it cool, otherwise it's very, very hot. And then you scrape out the spaghetti squash with a fork, and it comes out like in little, you know, spaghetti shred type things. Um, Do that with both sides of the the spaghetti squash. And then you you want that to drain if you've got a colander, Put it in a colander and let it sit. You might want to press that on a little bit, but you want to get some of the some of the moisture out of the spaghetti squash. Okay. While you're cooking the spaghetti squash in the skillet, uh, you add the olive oil. You cook the onion, chopped up onion, uh, and mushrooms, and you cook them until they're tender, just a couple of three minutes. Uh, you'll see the mushrooms start to, to shrivel a little bit and the onions get translucent. Once they are cooked... Add the ground uh, the ground turkey, 
and you cook it until it's done, until it's browned, and, and then you season with salt and pepper and a little bit of Italian seasoning. Mix all that together. Add the canned tomatoes, and then you mix that up really well. Then you add the spaghetti squash into the skillet. Uh, you'll need a fairly large skillet for this. Um, and then you mix it well and let it simmer, cooking off some of the juices. I usually turn it down to a simmer uh, and leave it uncovered or, or let the, the cover of the skillet vent. And I'll let it cook for, oh gosh, maybe 15 minutes or so. It cooks off some of the juices. Then, once you do that, you want to mix in half of the cheese, so a half a cup of the mozzarella. Mix it in really good, and then you place that, that mixture into a non-stick casserole dish or a casserole dish that's been uh, uh, sprayed with Pam or something like that. And then you sprinkle the remaining cheese on top. You bake that uncovered at 350 degrees for about 20 to 25 minutes until the cheese really um, uh, melts and, and maybe uh, gets a little crispy on top. So that is a delicious casserole. It's got enough flavor. Um, and uh, I, like I said, I make it, I've made it a lot, so I really enjoy it. And that will serve four people. So basically what you're doing is you've got, you know, four ounces of, of turkey and then a fourth of everything else. So, so serving for four. So the nutrition for each serving is net carbs are eight, calories are 300, protein is 30 grams, and fat is 16 grams. That is a really, really good low-carb, lowish-carb dish. And uh, usually what I'll do is I'll, uh, is I'll have a dish. I'll make that on the weekend. I'll have a dish, and then I'll save some to take to work with me for lunches throughout the week. So um, that's it, spaghetti squash casserole. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of My Low Carb Life. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Mark McCall, for sharing his expertise with us. I'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with a new episode. That would be the first part of March, March the 2nd, or, or, or about that. Um, it is, uh, we are publishing these new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Be sure to like or subscribe to this podcast when you're listening. I'm sure we'll be expanding our reach in the coming weeks, but for now, you can Google at Low Carb Keith to find us. Or visit anchor.fm slash lowcarbkeith. Also, if you have questions or topics you would like for me to address on the podcast, or if you have a success story of your own about your low-carb living, I would love to hear from you. As a matter of fact, I've received uh, several emails already from listeners, and I appreciate that. Just email me at lowcarbkeith at gmail.com. That's all one word, lowcarbkeith at gmail.com. I thank you for joining me on this journey, and hopefully you'll find something in these stories that will inspire, motivate, and educate you to do something that will improve your health and your quality of life for the rest of your life. This is Keith McDaniel, living my low-carb life.